Shabbat Shalom, world changers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Tonight we're going to get into the second part of the book of Numbers. Start reading from Numbers chapter 7. We'll see what the Lord has for us tonight. So welcome to all of you who are joining us. I see in the chat here we have Kalamentos who says, Shalom everyone. 1 John 2.26 says, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Vinny says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Abril says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Psalm 94 says, Shabbat Shalom, one and all. We need to pray for Canada tonight. Justice must be served. Amen. Mark says, Shalom. Dale says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for having us, Christopher. Thank you for coming, Dale. So welcome, everyone. And Shalom. Yeah, so, uh, hey, it's uh, Arab Shabbat, and uh, we usually have a little bit of a special, a um, little bit more of a different service on Arab Shabbat as opposed to the regular weekdays. And, of course, Shabbat as well on Saturday at 2 p.m. we, we usually start. Um, so let me just get to, I see Psalm 94 has a request for prayer for Canada. So let's do that. We'll, we'll, um, we'll begin with that. For those of you who don't know what's going on, um, well, uh, what can you say? Uh, there has been a, a peaceful protesters that are being driven out by the government. Okay. Um, it's just, you know, a lot of people are speechless. A lot of people are speechless right now. Uh, all Everything seems to point to a very tyrannical tyrannical leader in uh in in the uh, prime minister trudeau uh and everyone who aligns with that kind of behavior um so yeah it's very unfortunate what canada is going through right now you know instead of having a leader who comes down and speaks to his people when there are thousands of people that want to talk to him instead he invokes emergencies act and clear and uses special powers to clear everybody out like squash cancel and silence all dissidents silence criminalize dissent criminalize any kind of fundraising that would uh, lead to that very very um disturbing and concerning things that are going on in Canada. So, yes, uh so Psalm 94 uh let us let us pray um in that regard tonight. So Father, we come before you tonight, Father. We thank you, Father. You are on the throne. Father, you are great and awesome. Holy is your name. As Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, O Lord, the great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant of, covenant of love with those who love you and with those who follow your commands. So, Father, we pray that we are the ones who would fall into that category, that would fit that profile, those who love you and those who follow your commands. So, Father, we ask that justice be served. Father, we ask that you would do what needs to be done to put an end to evil in Canada. See what's going on. See how your people are being treated. See how your people are being persecuted and criminalized. And we ask you to do something about it. Do something about it, Father. 
And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Yes, uh, it's it's getting to the point. Um, it's getting to the point, people, that we need to start praying. We need to start changing our the way we pray in regards to what's going on in society, in regards to the evil that's happening in society. God responds uh, when we get serious in prayer. Every time God moved since the creation, since God gave man authority and dominion over all the earth, he basically just, you know, everything that he did from that point on was, was done in response to prayer. We read in the book of Enoch that the flood came in response to prayer because of the talk about injustices, the injustice, the, the, the sins that were committed on earth in those days. It says that the righteous people were crying out and those who were victims of those horrible things that happened in the days of Noah, they were crying out as well. And again, according to the book of Enoch, even their spirits after they after they died, we're still crying out to God. And we read that in the book of Revelation as well, right? In the book of Revelation, we have the, the spirits of those who have been martyred and they cry out. And you know what? Let's go there. I mean, you know what? I haven't, <laughs> I don't have this scripted right now. I'm just kind of, this is spontaneous, but, but this is, uh, I mean, for such a time as this, we need to, we need to address something like this. <sighs> This is Revelation. Uh, let's give me a second. Revelation chapter 6. Uh, yeah. Revelation chapter 6. Again, let's just go there. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Let's start at verse 9. Actually, yeah, let's start at verse 9. The fifth seal, martyrs. Okay? This is something that every believer should be aware of, especially in this time, in this day, in this age. We need to start changing our prayers because a lot of people a lot of us have been praying really nice sweet little fluffy prayers in regards to you know some of these <laughs> some of these people uh you know there there has been some very tyrannical rulers uh in hit throughout history and you think that god's people were just praying oh lord bless them oh lord just you know you know just let them feel your love no i think they were praying some very very serious some very, very severe prayers. And this is a good example of that. This is Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. The fifth seal, martyrs. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Of course, these people were slain by the governments of the day. For the testimony which they held. And it's, it, it, you know, I can't help but think it, it seems like it's going that way, where it's like it's a crime just to even speak certain things. And in this instance, this crime, the crime of these martyrs were just their testimony. What they said, 
the testimony which they held, the word of God. Again, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, these are the people that have already been these are the people who have already been martyred. They've are they're already, you know, in paradise right now pray, praying this at, at the you know, in, in this context. And these are not people alive on earth. These are people who have already been slain by the, you know, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And this, you know, they're not saying, oh, Lord, let those tyrannical rulers on earth, the ones who have, you know, martyred us, let them feel your love. Let them know your love. No, they're not praying that. They're Lord, holy and true. How long will, will it be until you judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Yeah. Yeah. And so we read about that in the book of Enoch as well, where the same kind of thing happened after the people have been slain by these horrific creatures that were on the earth in those days. And they were praying against those genetically altered or compromised, I should say, creatures. And uh, and God responded by sending the flood. We read in Genesis, I believe if my memory serves me correctly, I think it's in Genesis chapter 18. Um, I'm just going off my memory here, uh, where it was the prayers of God's people against Sodom and Gomorrah that caused him to respond to that. And so, oh, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 18, it's like, oh, you know, I'm hearing so much negative reports. I'm hearing so many people crying out against Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go see if what they say, if the prayers that I'm hearing is actually true. And that's when the angels went to Abraham and went to Lot and so on and so forth. And the story goes, too, with the Tower of Babel, that the Tower of Babel people were treated very, very cruelly as well, a very tyrannical rule by King Nimrod at the time when people, the, the, the bricks that, that were used to build the tower were of more value than the lives of those who were working on the tower. And so, uh, again, this is a ancient, um, an ancient tradition that has been handed down and recorded in, in ancient documents that that was the case. And again, once again, it was the cries of those people crying out to God that God responded to. So every time, I can't think of one time ever in history since the creation of, since God gave man dominion over the earth. I can't think of one time that God did something with, without first being initiated by prayer. So, hey, we are entering times, very, very serious and very, very sad times, I should say, that are upon us on the earth. We're seeing right now, even as I speak, the, uh, I don't know, I don't know how people, I don't know how these people can do it in, in Canada, in, the, uh, in Ottawa, Canada. I mean, the authorities, I don't know, um, but yeah. 
just have to pray. I just have to pray about it. Just have to pray. Okay, so let's see what else we have here. Breath of Life 74 says, Shabbat Shalom, brother. Shabbat Shalom. Great to see you. Welcome. The Tower Time says, Shalom, brothers and sisters. Blessings. Shalom. The Tower Time. Blessings multiplied back to you, brother. Vida says, Shalom. Shalom, Vida. I know you're over there in Holland. Shalom, Shalom. Welcome. Sani Sani says, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my, my disciples. Isaiah 8, 16. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's get into Numbers chapter 7. And I will come back to your comments uh, intermittently and, and, um, and respond to those comments. So let's start it. Numbers chapter 7, verse 1. When Moses had finished setting up the, the sacred tent. Again, this is a different translation. This, the uh, uh, CEV, the Contemporary English Version. Um, sacred tent is the tabernacle. When Moses finished setting up the sacred tent, he dedicated it to the Lord, together with, his, with its furnishings, the altar and its equipment. Then the 12 tribal leaders of Israel, the same men who had been in charge of counting the people, came to the tent with gifts for the Lord. In the footnote, it says the same men, uh, the people see uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. Okay, so we read that. Verse, uh, verse 3, continuing. They brought six strong carts and 12 oxen, one ox for each leader and a cart for every two, from every two. Excuse me, one ox from each leader and a cart from every two. The Lord said to Moses, accept these gifts so the Levites can use them here at the sacred tent for carrying the, sac the sacred things. This reminds me of the cart that was used in the days of uh, David when Uzzah uh, tried to steady the ark while it was being banged around a little bit on the cart. And the ox as well, right? So right from right from the days of Moses, that's how they carried the Ark of the Covenant. Very, very interesting. It wasn't just something that happened in the days of David, but David did it in accordance with uh, Numbers chapter 7. Verse 6, Then Moses took the carts and, the, and oxen and gave them to the Levites, who were under the leadership of Ithamar, son of Aaron. Moses gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites for their work, and four carts and eight oxen to the Merarite for their work. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathite because they were in charge of the sacred objects that had to be carried on their shoulders. On the day the altar was dedicated, the 12 leaders brought offerings for its dedication. The Lord said to Moses, each day one leader is to give his offering for the dedication. So each leader brought the following gifts a silver bowl that weighed one and a half kilograms and a, and a silver sprinkling bowl weighing almost a kilogram, both of them filled with flour and olive oil as grain sacrifices and weighing and weighed according to the official standards. A small gold dish filled with incense, a young bull, a full-grown ram, 
and a year-old ram as sacrifices to please the Lord. In the, um, let me see, in the footnotes, it says sacrifices to please the Lord. See note at 611. Okay, so uh, we have already read that anyway. A goat as a sacrifice for sin and two bulls, five grown rams, five goats and and five rams a year old as sacrifices to ask the Lord's blessing. The tribal leaders brought their gifts and offerings in the following order. On the first day, Nashon from Yehuda. On the second day, Nathanel from Issachar. On the third day, Aliab from Zebulun. On the fourth day, Elizur from Reuben. On the fifth day, Shemul, Shalem, Shalumiel, Shalumiel from Simeon. On the sixth day, Alisa from Gad. On the seventh day, Alishama from Ephraim. On the eighth day, Gamaliel from Manasseh. On the ninth day, Abidan from Benjamin. On the tenth day, Ahiezer from Dan. On the eleventh day, Pagiel from Asher. On the twelfth day, Ahira from Naphtali. And so when the altar was dedicated to the Lord, these 12 leaders brought the following gifts. 12 bowls and 12 silver sprinkling bowls, weighing a total of almost 28 kilograms, according to the official standards. 12 gold dishes filled with incense and weighing over a kilogram. 12 bowls, 12 full-grown rams, and 12, 12 rams a year old as sacrifices to please the Lord along with the proper grain sacrifices. Twelve goats as sacrifices for sin. And twelve bulls, sixty full-grown rams, sixty goats, and sixty rams, all as sacrifices to ask the Lord's blessing. Whenever Moses needed to talk with the Lord, he went into the sacred tent, where he heard the, the Lord's voice coming from between the two winged creatures above the lid of the sacred chest. So the two winged creatures are the gold, the golden cherubim, okay, like angels. Uh, and the lid, that's what is commonly and traditionally called the mercy seat. The sacred chest is the Ark of the Covenant. Numbers chapter 8. Aaron puts the gold lamps in place. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to put the seven lamps on the lampstand so they shine toward the front. Aaron obeyed and placed the seven lamps as he was told. The lampstand was made of hammered gold from its base to the decorative flowers on top, exactly like the pattern the Lord described to Moses. Okay, so again, this pattern that is talking about here is actually a vision that Moses got from God. Moses saw the heavenly tabernacle with the heavenly lampstand and all the furnishings of the of the tabernacle in heaven. I'm not talking about the one on earth that Moses created. I'm talking about the one in heaven, including the Ark of the Covenant and all that thing. All those furnishings, he saw that. Now, the pattern, quote-unquote pattern, uh, that the Lord showed Moses again, whether Moses w- went there in the body or not, 
That's debatable. I know in the legends of the Jews, it does say that Moses actually went to heaven, uh, basically had a tour of heaven. Uh, but wh whether he went there in the, in the flesh or not, we know that he saw, even if it's just by vision, by the Spirit of God, he saw all of these things. That's how he knew the pattern uh, by which he were to re, um, replicate these heavenly uh, items. Instructions for ordaining the Levites. The Lord said to Moses, the Levites must be acceptable to me before they begin working at the sacred tent. So separate them from the rest of the Israelites and sprinkle them with the water that washes away their sins. Then have them shave their entire bodies and wash their clothes. They are to bring a bull and its proper grain sacrifice of flour with olive oil. They must bring a sacred, or excuse me, a second bull as a sacrifice for sin. Then you, Moses, will call together all the people of Israel and send the Levites to my sacred tent, where the people will place their hands on them. Aaron will present the Levites to me as a gift from the people so that the Levites will do, will do my work. After this, the Levites are to place their hands on the heads of the bulls, sacrifice one of the bulls for the forgiveness of sin, and the other to make sure that I am pleased. Then the, the Levites will be acceptable to me. They will stand at my altar in front of Aaron and his sons, who will dedicate the Levites to me. This ceremony will show that the Levites are different from the other Israelites and belong to me in a special way. After they have been made acceptable and have been dedicated, they will be allowed to work at my sacred tent. They are mine and, and will take the place of the firstborn Israelite sons. When I killed the oldest, uh, the oldest sons of the Egyptians, I decided that the firstborn sons and each Israelite family would be mine, as well as every firstborn male from their flocks and herds. But now I have chosen these Levites as substitutes for their firstborn for the firstborn sons, and I have given them as gifts to Aaron and his sons to serve at the sacred tent. I will hold them responsible for what happens to anyone who gets too close to the sacred tent. Moses, Aaron, and the other Israelites made sure that the Levites did everything the Lord had commanded. The Levites sprinkled themselves with the water of forgiveness and washed their clothes. Interesting here that we have the, this kind of thing is almost like a baptism, although baptism literally means to be immersed, but it's kind of a washing or like a mikvah. Then Aaron brought them to the altar and offered sacrifices to forgive their sins and make them acceptable to the Lord. After this, the Levites worked at the sacred tent as assistants to Aaron and his sons, just as the Lord had commanded. The Lord also told Moses, Levites who are between the ages of 25 and 50 must work at my sacred tent. But once they turn 50, they must retire. They may help the, uh, the other Israelites in their duties, but they must 
no longer be responsible for any work themselves. Remember this when you assign their duties. Numbers chapter 9. Regulations re, uh, for, the, for celebrating Passover. During the first month of Israel's second year in the Sinai Desert, the Lord had spoke, or excuse me, had told Moses to say to the people, celebrate Passover in the evening of the 14th day of this month and do it by following all the regulations. Moses told the people what the Lord had said, and they celebrated Passover there in the desert in the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Some people in Israel's camp had touched a dead body and become unfit to worship the Lord, and they could they could not celebrate the Passover. But they were uh, but but they asked Moses and Aaron, even though we have touched a dead body, why can't we celebrate Passover and offer sacrifices to the Lord at the same time as everyone else? Moses said, "Wait here while I go into the sacred tent and find out what the Lord says about this." Wouldn't that be awesome to have that kind of connection to the Lord? Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, wait here, guys. I'm just going to go over there and talk to the Lord. I know he's over there. I know I can talk to him. Hey, Moses, face to face in Numbers chapter 12. We'll get to that. Very, very important. Very important and very powerful uh, chapter. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get to that tonight. Verse 9. Then the Lord told Moses... The Lord then told Moses, say to the community of Israel, if any of you or your descendants touch a dead body and become unfit to worship me, or you you are away on a long journey, you may still celebrate Passover, but it must be done in the second month, in the evening of the 14th day. Eat the Passover lamb with thin bread and, uh, I mean, like unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and don't leave any of it until morning or or break any of the animal's bones. Be sure to follow these regulations. Now, let me just, let me just, we have to point out some really important things here. So God, as always, God always makes exceptions. He always makes it easy to obey the Lord. Okay, he always makes it easy to obey. It's like, well, I can't do it because I have to be away. So I can't celebrate Passover. Does that mean I missed the whole Passover? No, don't worry about it. Just do it the next month on the same day. Notice they were told to celebrate on the same day. So it's like, keep keep the day, but just the next month. So you see how the Lord, um, he allows, this is the thing too, Deuteronomy chapter 14. And again, Lord willing, we'll get to that. Uh, It's like, Lord, what do we do when, if we're too far from the temple and we it's too far to travel to bring our sacrifices. He's like, well, don't worry about it. Just sell the sacrifices, sell the animals and enjoy. Enjoy. Um, you know, so it's always, you, 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 you see the ways of the Lord and the heart of the Father here. It's always do what you can do. That's what it's all about, right? Whatever you can do, do it. This is another reason why I think that, you know, we shouldn't be too overly uh, strict when it comes to what calendar you follow, okay? Uh, I think it's important to follow the right calendar, for sure. It's very important. 
Uh, it's important to really look at things from a very, you know, from a, to think critically, you know, to really examine things, examine the evidence and different arguments from different people, hear everybody out. I think it's very, very important. Uh, but we need to do our best actually to do what we believe is, is the right thing to do. And at the same time, when it comes to these calendar things, as we see here, the Lord is not all that sticky when it comes to, it must be celebrated on this particular day. So do your best. And that's what we see here. And also, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Verse, this is, um, excuse me, Numbers chapter 9, verse 13. Um, okay, I think we, just the last part of verse 12, excuse me. Be sure to follow these regulations. But if any of you are are fit to worship me and yet refuse to celebrate the Passover when you are not away on a journey, you will no longer belong to my people. Ooh, that's pretty serious, isn't it? That's pretty serious. You will be punished because you did not offer sacrifices to me at the proper time. Anyone, including foreigners who live among who live among you, can celebrate Passover if they follow all the regulations. And again, you know, here we have even the foreigners in in this context. It's like it's not just yeah, you know, it's like people who are visiting from outside, like just the visitors that are going through the land. Um, you know, God didn't say, "Hey, you know what? The Torah is only for the Jewish people, not for them. Don't worry. You know, they're not they're not they're not to celebrate it." It basically says here they they can celebrate it as well. Again, it's whosoever will, whosoever will. The cloud over the sacred tent. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. As soon as the sacred tent was set up, a thick cloud appeared and covered it. Isn't it amazing? We see this over and over again. We read, we read about this back in Exodus. We read about it here again, uh, and we see something very similar to that uh, when Solomon built the temple and dedicated the temple. The grand opening of the temple, the cloud of glory, the cloud of the Lord's presence filled the temple. And so here we are again. The cloud was there each day, and during the night a fire could be seen in it. The Lord used this cloud to tell the Israelites when to move their camp and where to set it up again. Okay. Uh, okay. So let me just read a few more sentences here. I got something to say. As long as the cloud covered the tent, the Israelites did not break camp. But when the cloud moved, they followed it. And wherever it stopped, they camped and stayed there. Wherever it was... Only uh, whether it was only one night, a few nights, a month, or even a year, as long as the cloud remained over the tent, the Israelites stayed where they were. But when the cloud moved, so did the Israelites. They obeyed the Lord's commands and went wherever he directed Moses. So, how does that apply today? Well, again, um, I don't know how many of you who are listening have actually experienced this 
it it is tangible and it is it has been experienced by people today. The actual the, the cloud. Um, and so whether you see the cloud or not, this is this is this is the the concept. Follow the Lord. Don't get stuck in one place. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians I see today. Actually, not just today, but ever since I even came into the Christian world, I've seen this. It's a problem. Christians, a lot of Christians, they get stuck in one place in their walk with, with the Lord. They don't move. And a lot of times that's manifested in, in getting stuck in one fellowship or stuck in one church. Most, if not a great deal of the major Christian denominations today began really good. I mean, the, it began with a great move of God. I mean, miracles happening. And most importantly, people repenting, lives changed. Uh the culture changed. Now we did see a little bit of this before in the nineties and that's a little bit here and there, you know, even in the past hundred years uh, where cities crime rate dropped drastically because of a quote unquote revival that was going on. And that's great. That's awesome. Wherever, re- wherever repentance is prominent, I tell you that's where the heart of God is, Right. And I know a lot of these places, they do not teach everything perfectly and they don't make, they don't practice everything perfectly. But in God's sovereign will, in God's sovereign uh, choice, he chose certain places, certain people to be a conduit to uh, for this kind of move of God. Don't mistake just because a person is um, a conduit for miracles or just because a a, a preacher or a, uh, you know, whatever, a Christian leader, excuse me, just because they're, oh, I say this person is so anointed. Look at, they've done, they do so many miracles and so much things happen in their meeting. Well, well, praise God. That's awesome. And, you know, we got to respect that for sure. And and love it and go for it and get everything you can you can get out of God like from God sure get every gift you can get right but don't make the mistake of 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 idolizing that person to the point where it's like well this person is so holy this person is so anointed oh this person is so perfect no. You look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. We got these same kind of people. They Lots of powerful things happened through them. God used them. Jesus did not deny that. God used them to cast out evil spirits, to even speak through them, to prophesy, and do many mighty works, as we see in a lot of the charismatic and Pentecostal world today, or at least in the past so many decades. And that's awesome. Praise God. That's great. We're not to reject that. But the moral of the story is just because God chooses someone to to be a conduit to to that kind of thing doesn't mean that they're even saved. It doesn't mean that they're on their way to heaven. It doesn't mean that they're right with God. It doesn't mean that even what they teach is is correct. 
Remember Jesus said, it's a promise. It's a promise that nobody wants to claim. He said, I will turn to them and I will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity, you anomian, you who live like there is no Torah against the law, anomos, anomian. So I think it's important. And today is, is, a, is a different day. But I think it's important for people to follow the Lord. And what I mean is, don't get stuck. I know people that are, when I first came to the Lord in 1992, I know people who attended this church that is not all that, <laughs> it's not all that great of a church. Let me put it that way, okay? I moved on after so many, after a few months, actually. I moved on. It was a step. But these people are still there. It's like, and and they, their walk with the Lord has been very, very stifled. They have never moved on. They're stuck in a spiritual rut. When the cloud of glory lifts, follow it. When the Lord lifts from one place and moves, follow him. As I said, most denominations, they started out with the cloud. They started out with the cloud, but the cloud lifted and a lot of people stayed and they didn't realize the cloud lifted. And they ended up to be nothing but a dead, a dead denomination, a dead denomination. Follow the cloud. Follow where the Lord is leading you. Don't get stuck in a rut. Very important. Very, very important. I look back into all the different churches that I've attended in the past three decades. And each church that I attended was like another step. And I know when I hear, I know people say you know, it's important to be faithful to one church and to stay there and you know not to move on and all that kind of thing. And I get that. And that's good if the church is good. But the problem is a lot of times the church gets stagnant. And it's nearly impossible, if not really impossible, to change the church from the bottom up. It needs to come from the top down. Okay, so um, let's see what we got here in the comments before we move on. Tyler says he's committed an unfor unforgivable sin. My life is ruined. I want to die. What did you do, Tyler? I'd like to know a little bit more detail. What happened there? Michael says, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Michael. Welcome. 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 Welcome, Jeff. Jeff says, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome. Good to see you. Yes, Shabbat Shalom says the Tower of Time. And the second first says, Shabbat Shalom all. Jordan says, Shabbat Shalom. Byron says, Shabbat Shalom. Question is, do you think uh, they eat good food in heaven? Yeah, I do. Of course, it wouldn't be like Earth. I think it's very similar to Earth to the food that we have on Earth. Um, you know, we have some 
um, allusion to that in the book of Revelation. We got like the leaves of the trees that provide healing and, you know, the fruit. Um, you know, so I do think that they eat good food in heaven. Of course, it wouldn't be like um, like today where, uh, you know, food is more like a material thing or like the, like a, a thing of um, the flesh. More like a thing of the spirit. Um, let's check out something here. Yeah, so you know, Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. Let me start at verse 1. Uh, let me go to, to the uh, okay, let's go to the New King James. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, this is in heaven, so to speak, paradise, heaven, or whatever you want to call it. You know, the, the heavenly destination. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Um, now, some of the manuscripts omit the word pure. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on Either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So it's, it talks about fruit. It talks about fruit trees. I can't imagine fruit trees without it being eaten. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Not only that, but I know of someone who... Uh, I've read a testimony, actually heard of testimony and read a testimony of someone who uh, have claimed that they were taken to heaven in the spirit. And they actually did, uh, according to them, uh, partake of some of this fruit. And they said it was a fruit that and when they ate it, it, it just it gave them spiritual strength and spiritual Talk about revivals, you know, just spiritual life and, and strength that came from this fruit. So I do believe that uh, that there is food like that in heaven. All Things New says, wow, yes, Lord, I need to share. I've had many tragedies, but I'm blessed. You know, let me just, uh, before I read on here, I think a lot of us, would, you know, we can say that, right? And you know that's what really shapes us, right? When we have, when we go through some hard times, that's when we really talk about anointed. Now, you know, when it, when you talk about being anointed, don't forget, you know, in biblical times, and actually today as well, and in that part of the world as well, the anointing oil came from crushing the olives, right? They crush the olives, they press the olives, and out come the oil. And sometimes that's needed. And sometimes that's needed. You, we all want that oil, don't we? We want that oil, but we don't really want to be crushed. And so it's, it's. Uh, I think it's very important. Um. To to be humble, to be humble. Reading your comment, uh, continuing here. And last night I asked the Lord for a glimpse of heaven, as it's been so long. And I felt far from him. He showed a vision of thousands of people, thousands of people clothed in white eating at tables. All had golden keepers on. The crowns are keepers 
not Western crowns. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Amen. Crushed for the oil. God bless you. God bless you more. Thank you very much. That's that's awesome. Beautiful. Praise God. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Absolutely. Byron says, I've dreamt of being in a room made of lights and beings of light entered the room to chat with me. All I remember from the dream is, are you willing? Something along those lines. Wow. Hmm. I never forget I never forget one of the most powerful dreams that I ever had was a dream that God showed me um you know without getting into all the details of the dream um but God I believe God showed me and we're talking about the cloud of glory we're talking about all these wonderful things we're talking about the oil we're talking about the anointing um where God showed me that The reason being, we, we mentioned some of these revivals and some of these churches that began in, in, in good, goodness and glory and repentance and holiness. And soon they, Peter, like it, the cloud lifted and that church became nothing but a dead, dry, organized, program driven social club. And that's, that happened almost every, you know, every church. Um, and, and I believe the Lord showed me the reason that that that, that happens. The reason it's happened so so often is because people, because they don't know, they don't lock into the purpose of revival. They don't lock into the purpose of of experiencing the cloud of glory, the presence of the Lord, or something like heaven. Or they don't lock into the purpose of that. And the purpose of it is. Simply to repent and to walk. God, God, you know, God in his, in his omnipotence, in his sovereign will, he does this to people. He gives them um, ecstatic experiences when they experience God in so powerful, like powerful, powerful ways. One of the one of the meetings that I have I've, I mentioned several times uh, that I attended in 1992 that that really really changed my life is a meeting where it's like the the the, the, the I can't even say it the the cloud was was there. See the purpose of all this. God doesn't give people these mystic experiences or powerful spiritual experiences just f- to make you feel good or just just to just for something to do. One of the main primary purposes of it is to promote repentance, to get you to to woo you to that place of repentance and walking with him. And loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so part of walking with him, part of, of that repentance, is aligning yourself with his, with his word, which is his Torah. His 
his rules, his regulations, his instructions, his guidelines. And so when, when a church falls away from that, when they fall away from the, from the law, so to speak, or when they fall away from personal holiness, when they lose perspective, and and they you know they focus they get focused on feelings or they get focused on you know themselves you know to build build a you know a bigger church or you know an empire or or a denomination or whatever the case is that's when the cloud lifts and goes the cloud lifts and says i'm you know god's like i'm moving here i'm i'm not going to be around people who I'm not going to stay, I should say, because he does visit in his mercy. But he's like, I'm not going to stay with people who is not um, is not willing to align themselves with my with 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 my word, with my instructions, aka Torah. So they say, ah, we don't have to obey Torah no more. We can do, yeah, you can smoke, you can drink, you can sleep around. Just come to church and just go and just ask for forgiveness and raise your hands and say, praise the Lord, amen. And you're okay. Oh, yeah, and you can, you can look like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, all that stuff. And you're okay because God's grace is, we're in, the, we're in the age of grace. That, I believe, is what causes God to say, okay, listen. I'm, I can't put up with this. I, I'm a holy God. I'm not. I can't put up with this kind of worldly pollution and infiltration into the church. And so he leaves, and the church just becomes nothing but a dead, dry social club, programs, organized religion. <sighs> That's what it's all about. Going nowhere says, is there sickness in heaven? Absolutely not. Sickness is weakness. Sickness is, is well, I mean, it's of the devil. Um, many times God uses the devil in that sense for sickness as he did in the book of Job. No, the, the devil is not roaming around heaven giving, getting people sick. And remember, sickness is all, not always, but many times. Well, I mean, ultimately it is. It's a it's a the uh, fruit of sin. It's it's from sin. You sin, you, and that's the consequence of sin. Again, it's not always. Sometimes you can get sick. It's a spillover of someone else's sin. You know, maybe there are certain circumstances that can, you know, it can spill over on you. But um, sickness is definitely not a good thing that God would want or allow in heaven. Byron, I, ch I chatted with them. I only remember them saying that though, asking me if I'm willing to follow God. Wow. Sometimes when I'm driving around, I'm, I'm just astounded by the, by the ungodliness. I just start praying for people. My heart breaks for them. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. That's like, you know, like, like the prophets, the prophets did the same thing. Stand in the gap for the people. Stand in the gap for the people. It's amazing. Let's continue with, let's see here. Romans, or no, Numbers, excuse me. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. The silver trumpets. By the way, did you guys know that um, uh, there is a video out there floating around? I don't have my, uh, it's not at my fingertips right now. Maybe Lord willing, I'll get it some other day. But um, there is a video floating around of silver trumpets in Ethiopia under the same under the same authority in the same place where all the other artifacts of what they say is from the temple. Okay, like the basin, the breastplate, or at least the frame of the breastplate, the silver trumpets. Um, and again, it looks, all these things that they bring out and say is like, it, you know, it looks like very, very ancient, very art antiquated. And that's just another reason why and that just adds to their testimony of, hey, perhaps they do have the ark. If they have everything else, why wouldn't they have the ark? But yes, there is a video out there floating around uh, where the Ethiopians actually bring out these silver trumpets and show them. So that's what we're reading about right now. The silver trumpets in Numbers chapter 10. The Lord told Moses, have someone make two trumpets out of hammered silver. These will be used to call people together and uh, to give the signal for moving your camp. Uh, just a second here. Okay. If both trumpets are blown, everyone is to meet with you at the entrance of this sacred tent. But if just one is blown, only the 12 tribal leaders need to come together. Give a signal on a trumpet when it is time to break camp. The first blast will be the signal for the tribes camped on the east side, and the second blast will be the signal for, for those on the south. But when you want everyone to come together, sound a different signal on the trumpet. The priests of Aaron's family will be the ones to blow the trumpets, and this law will never change. Second. Okay, verse 9. Whenever you go into battle against an enemy attacking your land, give a warning signal on the trumpets. Then I, the Lord, will hear it and rescue you during the celebration of the New, new Moon Festival and other religious festivals sound the trumpet while or sound the trumpets while you offer sacrifices this will be a reminder that i am the lord your god the israelites begin their journey on the 20th day of the second month of the of that same year the the cloud over the sacred tent moved on so the Israelites broke camp and left the Sinai desert 
and sometime later the cloud stopped in the Paran Desert. This was the first time the Lord had told Moses to command the people of Israel to move on. Judah and the, tw- and the tribes that camped alongside it marched out first, carrying their banner. Nashon, son of Aminadab, was the leader of the Judah tribe. Nathanel, son of Zuar, was the leader of the Issachar tribe. And Eliab, son of Helon, was the leader of the Zebulun tribe. Sacred tent had been taken down, and the Gershonites and Merarites carried it, marching behind the Judah camp. Reuben and the tribes that encamped alongside it marched out second, carrying their banner. Elizur, son of Shadur, was the leader of the Reuben tribe. Shalumiel, son of Zurashaddai, was the leader of the Simeon tribe. And Alisaf, Aliasaf, son of Duel, was the leader of the Gad tribe. Next were the Kohathites, carrying the objects for the sacred tent, which was set up before they arrived at the new camp. Ephraim and the tribes that had camped along, alongside it marched next, carrying their banner. Elishima, son of Amihud, was the leader of the Ephraim tribe. Gamaliel, or Gamliel, Son of Padazur was the leader of the Manasseh tribe. And Abidan, son of Gideoni, was the leader of the Benjamin tribe, or Benjamin tribe. Dan and the tribes that camped alongside it were to protect the Israelites against an attack from behind, and so they marched last, carrying their banner. Ahiezer, son of Amishadai, was the leader of the tribe of Dan. Hagiel, son of Okron, was the leader of the Asher tribe. And Ahira, son of Anon, was the leader of the Naphtali tribe. This was the order in which the Israelites marched each time they moved their camp. Hobab, the Midianite, the father-in-law of Moses, was there. And Moses said to him, We were leaving for the place the Lord has promised us. He has said that all will go well with us, so come along and we will make sure that all goes well for you. No, I won't go, Hobab answered. I'm returning home to be with my own people. Please go with us, Moses said. You can be our guide because you know the places to camp in the in the desert. Besides that, if you go, we will give you a share of the good things the Lord gives us. Verse 33, the people of Israel began their journey from Mount Sinai. They traveled three days, and the Levites who carried the sacred chest led the way so the Lord could show them where the, where to camp. And the cloud always stayed with them. Each day as the Israelites began their journey, Moses would pray, Our Lord, defeat your enemies and make them run. And when they stopped to set up camp, he would pray, Our Lord, 
stay close to Israel's thousands and thousands of people. Beautiful. This is awesome. Our Lord, defeat your enemies and make them run like that. Uh, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, let's check out a different uh, Bible translation. This is just, it's just awesome. And so it was whenever the ark was set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Beautiful. Numbers chapter 11. One day, the Israelites started complaining about their troubles, and the Lord heard them and became so angry that he destroyed the outer edges of, the, of their camp with fire. I can't help but think, you know, there's a lot of things that happen today, natural disasters or things that happen, and people don't think that it could be, it could, it could be God. It could be God speaking or lashing out or letting a little bit of his anger known. Back in those days, when the outer edges of the camp was burning with fire, I mean, how did that look? It, would people say, oh, it's wildfires or whatever? How did that look? But it says here, the Lord became angry and he did it. Verse 2, when the people begged Moses to help, he prayed and the fire went out, just as always. When the man of God prayed, even though it was initiated by God, God stopped God stopped it when the man of God prayed. They named the place Burning, okay, in uh, Tabera, Tabera. That would be transliterated from the Hebrew, Tabera, because in his anger, the Lord had set their camp on fire. The people grumble about being hungry. One day, some foreigners among the Israelites became greedy for food. And even the Israelites themselves began moaning, we don't have any meat. Right. So remember, at this time, they only had manna. They only had manna. Right. The bread from heaven. Verse 5, in Egypt, we could eat all the flesh we wanted. And there were cucumbers, melons, all kinds of onions and garlic. But we're starving out here, and the only food we have is this manna. The manna was like small whitish seeds and tasted something um, tasted like something baked with sweet olive oil. Now, in, in different, again, in a different translation, it says something different. This is Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. So Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. Here says, the manna was like coriander seed, and the color was like the color of delium. Okay, so coriander seed, let's have a look at what coriander seed looks like. There you go. Uh, so it was like that. Right, so it looked like that. Manna looked like that. It was like coriander seed, and the color of it, the color of it, was like delium. So, okay, let's just go like this. The color of this manna was the color of delium. 
Uh, looks like we got a little bit of a slow internet connection here. Um, in the meantime, uh, let me see here. Byron says, let me just, in the meantime, Byron says, when I was around the age of five, I used to see bad spirits. I would wake up scared because I would see them. My family would watch scary movies and my fear would stem from that. Yeah. You got to watch what comes in through the, through the television or through the computer and anything like that. You got to watch that. Um, and yeah, it is possible. It is possible to see bad spirits as well. Um, I, it's another thing I will never forget. Uh, there was, this was years ago. This was again back in the nineties, uh, and there was this guy I used to work with at this place where I used to work, and um, all of a sudden, it's like my eyes were opened in the spiritual realm, and I could lit. I could see the darkness on this guy. I could see the darkness on this guy, like. It shook me because I, I worked with this guy for years and it, all of a sudden it's just like, it's like a filter came. It's like a heavenly filter. And I saw the darkness over this guy and it was, it was very, um, very, very, uh, I guess you would say shocking. Yeah. All right. So the color, the color of delium is this color here, like a dark, like almost like brown sugar, almost like brown sugar. And that's the way, uh, that's the color of manna, according to what we're reading here, according to the scriptures. Okay, so it appeared at night with the dew. In the morning, the people would collect the manna, grind or crush it into flour, then boil it and make it into thin wafers. And wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be? Uh, wouldn't that be a privilege? I mean, for us. I mean, back in those days, it sounds like these they were all tired of it, sick and tired of it. But like, can you imagine getting a hold of some of that manna, eating a loaf of bread? You know, early morning toast made from the bread of heaven, made from manna. Uh, just amazing, amazing. Verse 10 of Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites stood around their tents complaining. Moses heard them and was upset that they made the Lord angry. He prayed, I am your servant, Lord. So why are are you doing this to me? <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? You've made me responsible for all these people. Like, like Lord, you give me a whole bunch of these people are a problem. Man, I'm telling you, you made a shepherd, you made me a shepherd of all these sheep, and these sheep are certainly not, you know, the kind of sheep that shepherds would like to be shepherds over, but yeah, you've made me responsible for all these people, but they're they're not my children. You told me to nurse them along and carry them to the land you promised their ancestors. They keep whining, they keep whining for meat. 
but where can I get meat for them? This job is too much for me. How can I take care of all these people by myself? If this is the way you're going to treat me, just kill me now and end my miserable life. Seventy leaders are chosen to help us. Okay, so these are the seventy leaders. By the way, guys, th- this uh, the story of the seventy leaders. This is the historic origins of the Sanhedrin. Th- those seventy leaders eventually became what is known uh, was known as the Sanhedrin, which was like it's almost like a Jewish court of seventy people. I think even in Yeshua's day, even in Jesus' day, they had uh, seventy members of the Sanhedrin. So this is Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, choose 70 of Israel's respected leaders and go with them to the sacred tent. While I'm talking with you there, I will give them some of your authority so they can share responsi- so they can share a responsibility for my people. You will no longer have to care for them by yourself. As for the Israelites, I have heard them complaining about not having meat and about uh, about being better off in Egypt. So I tell them, so tell them to make themselves acceptable to me because tomorrow they will have meat. In fact, they will have meat day after day for a whole month, not just a few days or even 10 or 20 They turned against me and wanted to go back to Egypt. Now they will eat meat until they get sick of it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that reminds me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a a true story, a personal story that something that I've experienced. This was back again, this was back uh, quite a while ago. How many years? 12 years ago, maybe. I don't know. Um, And I attended a Christian concert, okay? Um, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like it, it was, it was a, well, not really a concert per se. I guess it would be, you could say a concert, more like a concert slash worship meeting kind of thing. And I even paid for a seat, right? I bought a ticket, paid for the seat. And it's like, it was way up, and I I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear the the music very well. Like the sound wasn't all that good. I complained about it. You know, I I'm like, man, I can't even hear very well. It's not very good. It's not for you know, the sound is not very good up here. I'm I, I'm kind of like these people, complaining about it. You know, murmuring. Hey, I you know I bought my seat and anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up. Right up front, right in front, within, I don't know, just guessing, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of complaining. I somehow ended up right up front, right in front of these big speakers. And it was super loud. It was super loud. It was like, man, I wish I had earplugs. It was so loud. So I went from complaining it wasn't wasn't loud enough to being Okay, it's too loud now. And that's kind of like how these people were. It's like, uh, we didn't have any meat, you know. Uh, we had meat in Egypt, but now look, all we got is just this manna all the time, you know. Like, 
complaining. And God's like, oh, you want meat, do you? I'll give you some meat. I'll give you, I'll give you some meat until you're so sick of it. I'll give you more than you want. I'll make it come out of your ears. <laughs> you know? And so that's somehow, sometimes that's what it's like. You know, I don't know if you guys ever experienced something like that. It's like you complain. It's like God gives you something. God just kind of wallops you with what you want. But it's like, you know, a little bit more than what you wanted. Anyway, verse 21 of Numbers 11, Moses replied, at least 600,000 grown men are here with me. How can you say there will be enough meat to feed them and, and their families for a whole month? Even if we butchered all our sheep and cattle or caught every fish in the sea, we wouldn't have enough to feed them. And the Lord answered, I can do anything. Watch and you'll see my words come true. Moses told the people what the Lord had said. Then he chose 70 respected leaders and went with them to the sacred tent. While the leaders stood in a circle around the tent, Moses went inside. And the Lord sp spoke with him. The Lord the Lord took some authority from Moses and gave it to the 70 leaders. And when the, the Lord's spirit took control of them, they started shouting like prophets. But they, but they did it only this one time. So what, what was this all about? Well, this is kind of like when the spirit of God came upon them. You know, they reacted in this kind of way. We'll read more about this kind of stuff as we read through the Tanakh. Uh, when the Spirit of God comes upon people and they prophesy and they, you know, all kinds of things happen. And by the way, that still happens today. In some places and sometimes to some people. Verse 26, Eldad and Medad uh, were two leaders who had not gone to the tent. But when the Spirit took control of them, they began shouting like prophets right there in camp. A man or a boy ran to Moses and told him about Eldad and Medad. Joshua was there helping Moses as he had done since he was young. I mean, wouldn't that be a privilege, right? To be Moses, you know, helper, the assistant. And he said to Moses, sir, you must stop them. But let, me, let, me, let me just say this. Why would Joshua say that? Because when the Spirit of God comes upon somebody, it, they may just act in a certain way. They may just behave in a certain way that a lot of people would not would deem to be unacceptable. That happens. We, we have to... We have to be open. We cannot keep God in a box. Eldad and Medad, the Spirit of God came upon them and they started shouting. Just like, I, I can just imagine how they behaved. A lot of people like Joshua probably thought, oh, like, that's not appropriate or whatever. I mean, Went to Moses, stop them. They're not looking the way they're behaving. Stop them. Stop them. Don't be too quick to do that. Don't be too quick. Let's see what happens. Verse 29. But Moses replied, Are you concerned what this might do to me? I wish the Lord would give his spirit to all his people so everyone could be a prophet. So Moses and the 70 leaders went back to camp. 
Sometime later, the Lord sent a strong wind that blew quails in from the sea until Israel's camp was completely surrounded with birds piled up about a meter high for many kilometers in every direction. Hi, yeah, yeah, yeah. A meter is, uh, you know, approximately a yard, uh, three feet high, give or take a few inches. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's almost like a plague. It's almost like, like a plague. Can you imagine? The birds piled up that high. You wonder how any of them could survive underneath. That high for many kilometers in every direction. The people picked up quails for two days. Each person filled at least 10 large baskets. Then they spread them out to dry. But, but before the meat could be eaten, the Lord became angry and sent a deadly disease through the camp. After they had buried the people who had been so greedy for meat, they called the place graves for the greedy. Israel then spoke, then broke camp and traveled to Hazaroth. Numbers chapter 12. Now, this is very, very important. This is a very, very interesting and important uh, passage of scripture. I'll get back to that in a moment. I'll just, I want to get to some of your comments here. Uh, see what we got. Byron goes on to explain what he saw when he was young. The one spirit I remember the most was a spirit sitting in the closet crying. It had thorns sticking out of its body like a rose, but it, it was pitch black. After I got to know God, I, I stopped seeing them. Wow. That's amazing. Lots of prayer from family and going to church cleared up those bad things I would see. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Going nowhere, ask the question, something that confuses me. It says people in the Old Testament lived hundreds of years. How come people today have much shorter lifespans then? Okay. So if you notice, when the lifespans of human beings went from several hundred years down to like a hundred years or something like that, basically lost 90% of their lifespan. They only lived to be like a tenth of what they used to live. Um, if you notice, the 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 shift the shift the change began just shortly after the flood of Noah. So we read in the book of Jubilees, and there are also some scientists believe, believers that also believe that this is the case that. When the flood of Noah happened, it changed the it, it it changed the earth into some the even the nature of the earth everything on earth changed. Uh, we have I, there are there are there are some scientists that believe that before the flood there was a lot. Um, 
the environment was a lot more conducive to to life and um like the scriptures say that it didn't rain before Noah's day. It was just a mist that came down, watered the ground. Uh, it says that part of the water came from the from this, you know, from the uh, firmament of the sky. Uh, part of the water came from up from underneath, like springing out in springs. Um, so water came from above and beneath. Some scientists believe that there was like a canopy of water around the earth, like in the atmosphere, like above, like, you know, above like the stratosphere. Okay. A canopy of water that, that was suspended around the earth orbiting, I guess you would say like, like a, like a bubble, like the, like the earth was in a bubble, uh, of, of, uh, water. I suppose almost like how Saturn has rings, but the earth they believe had water that was suspended over the earth and that water served to, to filter out all of the um, dangerous radiation from outer space, filter out the dangerous radiation from the sun. Um, and the, and the atmosphere was much more conducive to, to that. So all of these free radicals and all of these, um radioactive materials that would come from outer space and come from outside of the earth would be all filtered out by the time it got to earth like get by the time it got down to um where human beings would live so human beings humans would be living in a, in a perfect environment well almost perfect not quite perfect but very very um very good in the sense as uh, all of these things were filtered out. Not only that, but because of that extra water in the atmosphere, they said that the atmospheric pressure was was a lot stronger as well. There was a lot more barometric pressure. And because of that, that was really conducive to a long life as well. So there were, and also the earth, earth's magnetic field was, was a lot stronger back in those days as well. So there were many different, many different circumstances that contributed to long, long life back in those days. When the flood of Noah happened, it's like the earth became completely different than it was before. Not so friendly to long life. And so, that's that's the idea that after that we're a lot more exposed to the elements so to speak or we're a lot more exposed to all this different radiation and and we don't have the pre the barometric barometric pressure like we used to have and all this other stuff so um that's the idea that's what happened And by the way, that's the reason why I believe that any kind of carbon dating, any kind of dating like that is completely inaccurate. They say this, this, you know, this particular thing has been carbon dated to be 3 billion years old. I don't believe it because their carbon dating models and their, the carbon dating science does not factor in the possibility of a totally different environment of the earth before you know 5,000 years ago 
5,000 years ago. So because of it being so different, that completely threw off, you know, so like one year could, could register as like 100 billion, you know, or, or 100 million, I should say. I mean, completely threw it off because the earth was completely different. Completely different back in those days. So, like carbon dating, what I guess what what I'm trying to say here is carbon dating science assumes that the radio, the radio, um, the radioactive like isotopes decay always decayed. Like there was always a certain amount of these isotopes that came into the that came that was. Um, um, on the earth or coming in onto the earth uh, from outside. And they always decayed at the very, you know, at the same rate as they do today, as they do in the, as they did in the past couple hundred years. So there's a, there's a huge assumption there that uh, it's just an assumption. They have not, as far as I know, if there's, there are no studies, there are no, there is no proof that those isotopes that the half life of those isotopes are the, is the same under every circumstance mark said that's why no, everyone thought uh, noah was crazy about the flood yeah, it never happened and it, it would never you know never understand how could it rain Totally different environment. Totally different kind of atmosphere. Okay, so Mar um, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Very, very important part of Scripture. This really is the basis of a lot of biblical canon the bible canon uh the idea of the dynamics of scripture is based upon this numbers chapter 12 then miriam and aaron spoke against moses because of the ethiopian woman whom he had married for he married an ethiopian woman so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Excuse me. And the Lord heard it. Okay. So here's the, here's the idea. Think about this. Moses, okay, he was a man. Remember, he couldn't speak very well at all. Most people couldn't understand him. He had a very serious speech impediment. That's one thing. Um, so he wasn't that, he wasn't a very good orator. He wasn't a very good speaker. He didn't deliver great and mighty speeches. It wasn't like the Ten Commandments movie at all. It wasn't like that at all. He couldn't talk very well. He couldn't, he'd hardly talk at all. He had a problem. Only Aaron and perhaps Miriam, I don't know, but we know for sure Aaron 
can understand him and can basically interpret what he's what he's trying to say. So we have that. So Moses was was looked down upon for a number of different reasons. He couldn't talk very well at all. He had a very bad, hard time talking. Nobody can understand him. Can you imagine somebody couldn't do anything? Could hard? He could. He'd have to have his brother to t- tell everybody else what he's trying to say. It's not like he was speaking a different language. He was speaking the same language. He just he just could hardly speak. So that's one thing. Another thing is he mar- he married an Ethiopian woman. So they look down on him because of these things. So like, ah, if God can use Moses, he can use anybody. Certainly, certainly he could use us. Uh, has, the, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? You know, so there's a little bit of pride that comes in there. A little bit of pride that comes in there. Kind of exalting themselves. Not so much over Moses, but to the uh, equal to Moses. And you would think that God says that everyone everyone's equal, but that's not really the case. They tried to make themselves equal to Moses here, but this is what it says. Verse three. Now Moses. Now the now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. He was a very, very humble man. Can you imagine how humble you would have to be in order to be deemed the, 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 the most humble man of all, you know, of all the earth? Imagine how humble you'd have to be? Now, let me just say this as well. You got some people to say, well, you see, this is ridiculous. You got people who say, this is ridiculous. Moses wrote that he, Moses himself wrote that he was the most humble. That's not, I mean, that's, that goes, you know, I am the most humble man in the earth. I go, that's basically, (laughs) it's the opposite of being humble. It should be noted and understood that traditionally speaking, according to the traditions that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation. Moses did not write this. It was Joshua. Joshua who wrote this. Nevertheless, it says that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. And I believe it because this is is what God does, right? God always chooses the lowest to exalt them to the highest. Even Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. The last, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 through to chapter 2, verse 10 around there. Uh, where even Paul says, you know, God chooses the lowly things to exalt them over the high things. He chose us the, the foolish things to make them more wise than the wise things of the earth. He chooses the weak to make them strong. And he, he chooses the strong things to make them weak. So it makes sense. If Moses was the most powerful man of God in those days, he would had to have been the most humble man in all of the earth in those days. It just there's no other way. God would not choose, God would not pass over the most humble man 
to make someone else more powerful than that humble man. Remember, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Moses certainly had the grace of God. I find it quite ironic that a lot of Christians believe that that Moses lived in the age of the law, not the age of grace. (sighs) Dispensationalism is a heresy, folks. It's a heresy. It's not true at all. Numbers chapter 12, verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. (laughs) You better come out when God says that. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. So Moses said, Moses, you stay behind. I want to talk to Aaron and Miriam right now. Miriam, by the way, is the Hebrew name. Uh, It's basically the Hebrew form of Mary. They both went forward and he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Not so with my my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. I speak with him face to face. Even plainly, not in dark sayings. And and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Wow. That is quite a rebuke. Quite a rebuke. So, basically... God is like, listen, Miriam, listen, Aaron, you think you're just as good as Moses? Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh, not even close. Not even close. If I have a prophet among you, I'm talking about a special prophet, not just you guys, but a prophet. Even the prophet, I speak to them through dark sayings, through riddles, through visions and dreams, not not clear, things that they have to interpret, things that they have to figure out themselves. Kind of like, as Paul said, like looking through a dark glass, not seeing it fully, not seeing it clear. So the prophets, I speak to them, not clear. They they only see they, visions and dreams and stuff. But Moses, he sees the real deal. He gets the real deal. He speaks to the Lord face to face. And he gets to see the form of the Lord, which no one else could see. The prophets didn't get that. The prophets didn't get that. This is why in the Jewish world, and it's the truth, this is why Moses had and has more authority than any of the other prophets. 
And this is why his words and the books of Moses have more weight than any other books. We got to get out of the mindset of all scripture is created equal. It's not. It's not static. It's dynamic. Every author has its has his own level of authority. Moses is at the top for this reason. He's at the top. He's got the greatest authority amongst all the prophets. And don't forget, someone like Paul is not even a prophet. Okay? He claims to be an apostle. If he's an apostle, he's an apostle. Okay. But he's not even a prophet. He never claimed to be a prophet. So of all the books of the Bible, we have Moses up top. This is why in the Hebrew, it's not called Old Testament. It's called Tanakh, which is an acronym. T-N-K. T-N-K. T, actually, it's like, like this more like it. T, the first and the, the highest authority book is the Torah. Under that is N, the Nevi'im. Under that is K, the Ketavim, T-N-K, Tanakh. Torah first, under that, the rest of the prophets, under that, the writings, the, script, the scriptures, which would, that would include like the historical books and the book of Esther and all that kind of stuff. Based upon this, not just upon Numbers chapter 12, but also things like Exodus chapter 19 and other parts of Scripture as well, it makes it very clear that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke to Moses publicly. Again, not like prophets, like they, some dream they had, some vision that nobody else saw, nobody else could witness. Moses had millions of witnesses. Again, this is what made him and the Torah the top. T, under that N, under that K. So the Torah is the highest authority of the books. The Ketavim, the lowest authority of the books. Now, according to Oxford University Press, um, it says that the Ketavim, the book of Psalms was included in the Ketavim. The book of Psalms, considered to be Ketavim. On the bottom of the hierarchy of scripture, okay? Now, in the temptation of Christ, excuse me, when the devil came to tempt Jesus, Jesus always, Yeshua, without, without exception, Yeshua always, countered the devil with the Torah. He used the highest, most powerful resource he could use, the Torah, always, without exception. That's how he opposed the devil. It is written, and he quoted the Torah. When the devil finally quoted scripture back to him, it wasn't the Torah. It wasn't even the Nevi'im underneath that. It was the it was the Ketavim. It was like the lowest of all. And so 
it's almost like this. It's almost like when the, when the devil actually quoted the book of Psalms, it's almost like the devil, it's almost, can, if, can you imagine being in a church today and the devil comes and starts tempting you? you you're quoting Torah, you're quoting Torah, you know, and that's, that's what you should do. Quote Torah to the, to the devil. But the devil picks up the hymn book and opens the hymn book and quotes the hymn book to you. It's like, uh, <laughs> sorry, that doesn't work. Torah. And that's exactly what happened with the devil and Yeshua. The devil used the book of Psalms, which was their hymn book. The book of Psalms was the book of songs. It was their hymn book. The devil used the hymn book while Jesus used the Torah. Hey, what can I say? If anything seems to, it doesn't matter whether it's the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, or any of the Gospels, or, or the Book of Acts, or Paul, or anybody, anywhere, anywhere at all, seems to, I say seems to, contradict what the Torah says. The Torah always wins. It's the highest authority. It always wins. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he used the Torah at every turn when he was when he was dealing with the devil. Moses has the highest authority. Back to Numbers chapter twelve, verse nine. So yeah, so the so the Lord rebuked. Aaron and Miriam were there. Well, they got a little bit too head heady here. They got a little bit too much. Uh, their head swelled a little bit too much. Verse nine. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. Well, that's kind of like what the Lord does, right? When he gets angry, uh, you don't want that to happen. You want the Lord to stay with you. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly. Miriam became leprous and as white as snow. Okay. So this is a thing. This is a thing. It's it's so glorious and so good to be in the presence of God. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, anywhere other than the presence of God. But you got to be very careful in the presence of God. Look what happened to Miriam. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. You got to be very careful. Presence of God. Look what happened with the Ark of the Covenant. You know, to one person, it brought great blessings. To another person, it brought great curses. And you, somebody might ask the question: Why don't we see the miracles and the power that we've that they that they had in the Book of Acts? And the answer is quite simple: It's because we don't have, or at least church as a whole, generally speaking, doesn't have the presence of God like they did in the Book of Acts. And it's not because it's not available; it's just because they don't position themselves properly. They don't prepare themselves properly. You notice. God came when the tabernacle was all prepared, set, the stage was set, so, so to speak. The tabernacle, the, the home for the Lord, so to speak, was all set. Then he came. 
He didn't come during their setting up or building the temple. He came after the fact, when it was all done, set and ready to go, and they were ready for the Lord to come and inhabit the tabernacle. Then he came. Same with Solomon with the temple. It was after the temple was completed, 100% completed, finished, everything was done, the grand opening, then God came. The problem with many churches today is they have not even begun to prepare for the Lord. They think in their own, they think in their own presumption that God's already with them. When really God's not with them. <laughs> really, it's not. They need to prepare for the presence of God. That reminds me of another thing. We talked, I, I spoke a little bit about some revivals that happened in the past, in recent history and such. There was this one revival that happened in the early 90s. And I'll never forget, I followed, I used to watch this particular um, pastor. Um, and he, he said, there's this, evangelist is coming on such and such a date. And he said, I want the whole church. It was a big church too. He said, I want the whole church to fast and pray for three weeks. Like the whole church, fast and pray. In other words, prepare for the coming of the Lord. And I tell you, uh, the Lord did come. And it was a, it was an awesome move of God that happened in those days. It's because the people prepared for it. They weren't presumptuous like almost all the other church fellowships are. They prepare for it. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to repent. We're going to we're going to get ready. We got a goal. We got a date. And I'm telling you when that date came, they were ready and so was God. And it was awesome, awesome. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. You have to prepare for God. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. We can't cheapen the presence of God. So a lot of people say, well, God, come as you are. God will, God will, God will accept you as you are. Well, I would say do I would say do everything you can first to get ready. I know sometimes some people they need a lot of help, they need supernatural help. I, yeah, for sure, I get it. You know, and that's that's when God does come in and help. But do everything you possibly can in the meantime. Fast and pray if you can. Repent as much as possible. Clean clean as it says in the book of Revelation, the bride has made herself ready. It doesn't say, well, Jesus made her ready by the whatever, because it was Jesus' garments that they put on, the righteousness of Christ. No, it does not say that. It says the bride has made herself ready. She has cleansed her own garments. Yeah, there are some stains. Maybe you do need God's help to get out. And that's, 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 that's awesome. And God understands that. And that's when you do come before him and say, Lord, 
I have prepared, I, I've prepared my heart and my soul and my body and everything as much as I could. I need next, I need some extra help, you know, and I believe he would give you that help for sure. Yeah, he's a merciful God. But we got to not forget that we need to be super respectful of his presence. I don't think when Yeshua comes back, okay, I don't think he's going to be like some hippie going, hey, man, let's go shake his hand, you know, nice to meet you. Like, hey, man, get, get down with you. You're like, you know, you're one of my homies. I don't think so. It says just by the brightness of his coming, he will destroy the army. Just by the breath of his mouth, he will destroy. He's going to be some fearsome lion of Judah, I'm telling you. He's not going to be some meek, humble little, he's not going to be some little lamb. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came the first time as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a lion. The first time they expected a lion, but they got a lamb, threw him off. The second time they were going to expect the meek, humble lamb of God. No, no, they're not going to get that. They're not going to get the little meek, humble lamb of God. They're going to get a fearsome, they're going to get, uh, what is it, Isaiah 64, if I can remember correctly, talking about the second coming when Yeshua comes back. It is quite a serious, serious scene here. Um, Sixty-three, excuse me, sixty-three. Who is this coming from Basra and Edom with clothes stained red? Who is this hero marching in his glorious uniform? It's me, the Lord. I have won the battle. I can save you. What are those red spots? Those look stained from trampling on grapes. I alone trampled the grapes. None of the nations helped. I trampled nations in my anger. <laughs> not just one or two leaders, not just one person, not just a few. I trampled nations in my anger and stained my clothes with their blood. I did this because I wanted to take revenge. The time had come to rescue my people. Oh, yes. Today, his people is suffering at the hands of these wicked rulers, wicked authorities, and other people. We spoke about it just there last night or the other night, where opendoors.org, who, who uh, they keep track of the persecution of Christians, and they say that 300, 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and oppression. And that at in according to their own according to their own website is a low estimate. They say the actual number is much higher than that. Yeshua says, I did this because I wanted to take revenge. The time had come to rescue my people. 
No one was there to help me or give support. My mighty arm won the battle, strengthened by my anger. In my fury, I trampled on nations and made them drunk. Their blood poured out everywhere on earth. Yeah. As it says, you know, the day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment, is not going to be a pretty day. It's not going to be a pretty day. It's going to be a day of darkness and not light. It's going to be a day of God's anger. And we're heading there, folks. We are heading there. And the nations of the world, thinking about what's going on in there in Canada as well with Trudeau, the nations of the world and their leaders, where is the fear of God? Where is the fear of God? Like, don't you know that whatever you do, you think you you can do it just, just because you are prime minister or president or king or queen? Don't you understand and don't you know that there is the king of kings? There is the prime minister of all prime ministers. There is an authority way, way more powerful than any other authority than your authority. And whatever you do against the people of God, you're you're banking God's wrath. You, you are banking God's wrath. Don't you see that God, don't you understand that God sees? And it, unless you repent, you're going to reap the consequences of it. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can send wild animals to take care of the people. That sounds strange, but he can do it. He can send locusts. He can send natural disasters. He has before in the past. Ask Noah about it. Ask Sodom and Gomorrah. He can send all kinds of different things. He can send disease, pestilence, all kinds of stuff. And he can use people anywhere to do it. Doesn't matter who it is, what scientist, wherever, he can, he can use these people. Certainly wouldn't be the first time that he did. Certainly wouldn't be the first time. The rulers of this world need to get on their face on a regular basis. I'm talking about get on their face on a regular basis before the mighty God. Repent of their sins, get serious with God. And treat God's people well. Treat God's people like they are princes and kings and queens. Remember, Matthew chapter 25. The one that we read about here who said he's, he's going to trample the nations and spill their blood everywhere, all, all over the earth. That one said in Matthew chapter 25, 
what you did what you did to the least of these my brothers you did it to me the way you've treated the least of these the 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 most hated people the ones that are ostracized you did it to me says the lord almighty Serious, serious offense. It's a serious, serious offense. Back to Numbers chapter 12, verse 9. So the Lord, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam. Well, by the way, you know, today we'd say, oh, well, you know, we have medical, we have our medical science that could deal with all this stuff. Don't ever brag against God. I think that if one thing should be learned, but what happened in the past couple years all around the world is this don't trust. In these people who think they've got the cure. If God does it, nobody can cure it. If God does it, nobody can stop it. Then Aaron turned, turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly. Excuse me. And in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of his mother's womb. She must have looked horrible. So Moses cried to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had put her, had but spit in her face, she w- uh, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Let's see what we got here for comments in the live chat. Yeah, Vinny says, uh, Genesis 3, uh, 6, 3, the Lord said, I will not allow people to live forever. They are mortal. For now on, they will live no longer than 120 years. 
Byron says, do you, do you think people fall down to hell or just spawn there? I can tell you have a gaming background. My my cousin had an, an NDE and she said, and said she was falling to hell, but got resuscitated. Wow, I hope your cousin uh, is living for the Lord now. Um, but yeah. So there are different accounts of exactly how I, I've a lot of people uh, who have said they went to hell. Sometimes it does seem like they just spawn there. Uh, other people do see say that they they feel like they're falling to to hell down to hell. Others uh, would say that they were taken by an angel to hell. Um, so it, it it seems like it depends on the person, really. So. Um, yeah, I, I can't say that there's like a one one size fits all answer for that, Byron. It's a very good question. It does seem like though more more often than not, it is like a falling to hell or like I spawning there. Yeah, so I hope that helps, Byron. The Great Deception says Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom, welcome. Good to see you. Byron says, my friend nearly died in a fire too. And he said when he was in hell, spirits were screaming and it smelled horrendous. He didn't go into much detail. That's all he said. You know what, Byron, you know, what you're sharing is really awesome because I have heard, uh, there's a, there's a doctor, um, awesome testimony, by the way. Um, I'm not even sure if he's still still alive uh, if he's still around or not but i think it's back in the 80s or early 90s uh, dr maurice rawlings he was a cardiologist and he had people drop dead in his office um and people had you know, experiences there was one guy who had a hell experience and and he got dr maurice rawlings got came to the faith trying to save this other person who's saying, I'm in hell, I'm in hell, I'm, you know, don't let me go back to hell again, you know, resuscitate me, you know, don't let me fall back to hell. Um, and he, he wasn't, this doctor was an atheist until, until that. And then he, he said he led this uh, guy in a, in a prayer, it, but it was a fake prayer in a way because Dr. Maurice Rowling said he didn't really believe in God at the time, but but when he when he led this other his client in a prayer, he said all of a sudden he just saw peace come over his client and his client you know re resuscitated and lived for I don't know if he's still alive or not, but lived after that and uh, went on to share his experience and, and preach the gospel, all kinds of different things. But Dr. Maurice Rawlings said something I'll never forget. He said that hell experiences are much more common than you ever know. He said a lot of people experience hell when they flatline or when they die for a certain amount of time and then they're resuscitated. He said a lot of them do, way more than you hear of. The thing is that they don't want to talk about it. They, and a lot of them don't tell anybody about it because it's like, in his own words, he says, it's like coming home with an F on your report card. You don't, you know, it's not something you'd like to brag about. Guess what? I got sent to hell. Um, and so that, it reminds me, 
uh, of all of these things that uh, we're discussing here tonight. And I do believe that. I do believe that a lot more people go to hell than they than go to heaven or paradise, based if nothing more, if you know, on nothing else, but on the words of Yeshua Himself. He said, "Wide is the path, wide is the gate. Many are on it that lead to destruction, lead to hell, but few there be that find the way of life. Few, very few." Think about few. Think about the millions that came out of Egypt and only two, Joshua and Aaron, made it to the promised land. Only two. That's few. The Great Deception says, uh, the lake of fire is the second death. The smoke rises forever. They are not tormented forever. Uh, I do I do see in the scriptures that uh, it does say not only... Not only in the scriptures, but also in people's own experiences, that the torment actually is forever. Uh, it does say, like, forever, eternal torment, you know, burns forever, the fire that burns forever. And you think about it like this if the smoke is continually rising, it means that it's burning, right? Like, for example, you never look out your window and say, oh, I see smoke from a house that burnt. 100 years ago, right? The smoke is always something that's happening right away. So if the smoke is rising forever, it's burning forever. Uh, and it, again, it, there are many things. I actually, I actually uh, made a few videos on that before. There are, there are many different instances throughout the scriptures about eternal torment, eternal burning. Um, and there is kind of like a, almost like a science behind it as well, or like a, um, Byron was talking about how these people experienced, a, like, for example, they, they experienced all this torment, they experienced uh, like the, the smell, they could smell. A lot of senses, like senses, your spirit has senses, your spirit has sight, your spirit has smell, sensing, um, all this kind of stuff. Your spirit has pain sensing as well. So if you were in an eternal flame, you would feel the burning forever without ever being consumed because there's nothing to consume. Spirit is spirit, but spirit feels the pain. Now, another thing too is this. In the scriptures, no, excuse me, not in the scriptures, Oh, no, let me, let me go back here. In the scriptures, it says, let everything be settled by two or three witnesses. Let everything be settled by two or three witnesses. I have done a lot of reading and studying on at the afterlife. We can, find, we can find a lot more than two or three witnesses of people who have went to hell. And the thing is this. This is the thing. You never, ever... I have never heard of anybody going to hell and saying, hey, I met, you know, Uncle Jack was in hell. And he was saying, eh, I got I got another week to go, then I'm out. Or I got another, you know, I got another five days to go or another five months to go, then I'm done. The torment's not forever. It's always the opposite. It's always, I'm here forever. I'm stuck here. I can't, I, I'm going to be here forever. Like it says in Luke chapter 16, that the 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 rich man 
was there, could not get out. He was burning. It was not consuming him, but he was burning in, in fire, in pain, in torment, in his own words, in torment. And there was no way for him to get out. And he wasn't consumed. So not only do we have scripture, but we have lots of witnesses. And none of those witnesses would agree that people are there just for temporary, just temporarily. They're, they're punished temporarily. That's, 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 that's not what we read in the scriptures. Or, like I said, even if the scriptures are debatable or questionable, we look to witnesses. Let everything be settled by two or three witnesses, first-hand witnesses, people who, who have actually spent time there. Vinny says, I learned from Holy Impact Ministries today, many are called, but, but not all are chosen. Yeah, you see, we mentioned there the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. They were all called. They were all called, but only Joshua and, Ch and, and Caleb, they were chosen. They were the ones that actually made the cut. They made it through. And how? what's the difference between those who were called and those who were chosen? The ones who were chosen are the ones who believe and obey. Joshua and Caleb, they believed and obeyed, and they made it. All the rest, they didn't. It says, like it says in the scriptures, they fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief, right? Hebrews chapter four and in the book of Psalms. So yeah, let's, I pray that every one of us, everyone within the sound of my voice is, uh, will be counted with the chosen, not just those who are called, but those who are cho chosen. Great Deception says, Torment is a Catholic doctrine. I have never really subscribed to Catholic doctrine, but I see uh, Torment forever, as I mentioned before. Yeah, going nowhere. Since someone mentioned, yeah, it was Vinny mentioned Genesis 3, uh, 6 3. It's interesting that that's how long Moses lived 120 years. And yes, uh, to yeah, Moses prophesied about these days in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. Those, uh, especially the curses for those who don't align themselves with Torah, those who don't obey the commandments. Yeah, we see a lot of that stuff happening today. We see a lot of that stuff happening in the diseases that we are that are plaguing the world today as well. And not only the, not only the diseases, but also a lot of the other things as well, for sure. Yes, Yeshua quoted Torah. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Amen to that. Yes, praise God. All things new says amen. Yeshua is the high priest and king. Fearsome. Hallelujah. The day of Yahuwah. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Wow. Do we ever have to rely on that, don't we? Sometimes it's 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 um, tempting, isn't it, to <laughs> to want to take revenge? But God always 
he makes sure that the that the the, the bank accounts are, are are balanced, doesn't he? He makes sure the heavenly bank accounts are balanced. Byron says, some of my family and friends treat me like I'm crazy. They don't they know I'm all about God. Whenever I speak about the Bible, they just smirk and think I'm religious. I just pray for them. Well, at least you're not getting, uh, you know, some serious persecution. That's that's a good thing about it. Um, let's pray that they become like the Ninevites, right? In like how the Ninevites, they even though they weren't really quote unquote saved or quote unquote the people of God or the Jewish people, they still feared God. They they understood enough to know, hey, someone said God's going to destroy this place. Oh, you know, we better get serious. Everybody fast. Everybody pray now. Everybody and their animals. Doesn't matter. Everybody. Everybody fast and pray. Great deception. People say I take this way too serious. You know, I don't think it's possible. I mean, I guess it would be possible in a way, but I mean, it's people take it way too lightly. I mean, you know, uh, I'd rather be, it's like get serious with God now or God is going to get serious with you later. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have the first part than the last. Yeah, repent, follow uh, Yeshua, keep Yahuwah's commands and prepare your hearts. The Tower of Time says that's the way to do it. Byron, I agree with your prayer, brother, in Yeshua's name. Amen. It says, I agree with that prayer also. Yeah, the rulers need to repent, says the Great Deception. I pray they would. Yes, absolutely. Many says some say we're way, we're way too strict, and some say we're chaining ourselves. I would say, you know what? I'm I'm trying to get you free from your chains, free from your chains of sin, free from your bondage to sin. You are enslaved, and you are you are. That's what I would say to these people. I mean, in the right context, I would. I would say, I'm trying to get the chains off of you guys. I'm trying to get the chains of sin off of you guys. You need to break free from that. Repent. Tower Time says, I also have need for prayer for some of my family. Okay. Let's uh, let's pray for let's pray for the tower time. Okay, so everybody, let's just join whatever you're doing. Uh, let's just join in prayer right now for the tower time and his family. Father, we thank you again for this fellowship. Father, we 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 worship you. We welcome you. We praise you. Your name is holy. Your name is just. You are so good, oh great and awesome God. Father, you hear the cry of, of, of his heart. 
Father, whatever it takes, you see the needs there. You see what needs to be done in his family. Whatever it takes, Father, speak to their, speak to their hearts, change their lives, soften their hearts. Cause the circumstances in their life to, to make them open up to you, Father. Bring them around. Bring them to repentance. Open the eyes. Open their eyes. Open their ears to hear. Their eyes to see. Their minds to understand. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, everyone said, Amen and Amen. Tower Time says, Praise and thanks and praise to our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. It is a good thing to be set apart, to be chosen to be a royal priesthood. Thank you, Father, for our King Yeshua. Amen, amen. The Tower of Time says there's also a book is called Proof of Heaven by Brian Surgeon, who experienced heaven. Yeah, awesome. I remember some old, um, uh, there's a book too called uh, Heaven is Real. Another one, there's a documentary called The Lazarus Phenomena. That's an interesting documentary. As well as Death and Beyond is another one. Another one is To Hell and Back. To Hell and Back by Maurice Rawlings. That's Dr. Maurice Rawlings. He actually host, hosted that. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting tower time. I didn't. I wasn't. Sure, I didn't know this. Uh, Brother Jackson had a near death ex experience. Talk this Tuesday late night. Even chat if it's okay to share channel info. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, the tower time. Sure, no problem. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, from time to time, I, I. It's been a. I have watched quite a bit of Brother Jackson's stuff, but. Uh, yeah, he's a very interesting, def definitely a very interesting channel. Yeah, the Great Deception, that's Sheol. The Lake of Fire is after the Great White Throne Judgment. Yes, uh, all that kind of thing is explained as well in Second Esdras. Very interesting. Uh, Byron said, I also heard that spirits feel pain more intensely. Yes, I actually, I heard that too as well. The pain that we know of in our physical bodies is kind of a dulled pain compared to spiritual, like the spirit, uh, a spiritual being experiencing pain. It's almost like in our earthly bodies, these, this other senses as well are a lot more restricted, limited, dull kind of like I've heard too that like spirits see more clearer clearly and see colors more vibrantly um feel a lot more intensely yes and feel feel pain for sure all things new says called but few chosen look at king saul god departed from him and sent an evil spirit to torment him that's an amazing story isn't it 
you know, I think a lot of, I think that past, even pastors and leaders today, they, some of them have experienced that kind of thing as well. It's, it's a serious thing to depart or to uh, King Saul. I mean, he disobeyed the Torah. He disobeyed the instructions of God. That's what gave, that's what opened the door to this, right? I mean, it rubbed, it rubbed God the wrong way as it always does. And when God has enough of it, he says, see you later. And he say, he sends, uh, you know, definitely sends uh, something a lot worse. Uh, yeah. It says Jesus spoke uh, about eternal hell. God be glorified and have mer mercy on us all. Yes. Amen. Yeah, consider all things, hold fast to what is true, by the truth, sell it not. What would Jesus do? Do that. Absolutely. I, it amazes me how many Christians, they say that, but they don't really clue in, right? They don't really do it. Okay. Abril says... Can you all pray for a dear friend of mine that is struggling a lot, both financially, spiritually, and has a lot of legal troubles on top of that? He is a Torah follower too. His initials are AD. Yes, for sure we can pray uh, for your friend. Amen. So let's do that. Father, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, for bringing us to this time and this place. Thank you, Father, for our fellowship. Thank you, Father, we're able to fellowship like this. Thank you, Father, for, for the health that we, we have, that we can, we can do this. We can interact with each, each other. We're not, you know, in, in bad situation like a lot of other people are. Father, we thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Have mercy upon us. You are so holy. You are so just. You are so good. Father, we come before you tonight and we ask you to have mercy as well upon Abril's friend, A.D. Her friend with the initials A.D., Father, I ask that you would go to this person, have mercy upon this person. Whatever, if there's anything, if there's anything that is that needs to be repented of, show this person. If there's anything that needs to be cleansed, anything that needs to be changed, show this person what needs to be changed. Father, we ask you that you would make your ways known Visit this person in a wonderful and beautiful way, Father, in a way that would refresh, bring refreshing, like times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This person be refreshed spiritually, emotionally. And Father, lead this person not into temptation, but deliver this person from evil, all evils. Financial evil, spiritual evil, and legal troubles. Deliver this person from all of these evils. Send your presence there. Send your spirit there. Send angels there. Send other people there. 
and let peace come. Let this wonderful shalom peace come in every area of this person's life. And there be peace and wholeness, completeness in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Great Deception says, Amen. Hallelujah. Enter his gates with praise and thanksgiving. Going Nowhere says, Do you agree that with the saying that not all miracles are of God? Well, <laughs> this would... I would I would have to say like how do how do you def- define a miracle? I mean, you have in the scriptures that like for example, we read about the story of Moses before Pharaoh and the magicians were they were not of God. They could replicate, they could reproduce, they could do a third of all of the quote unquote miracles or the plagues or the signs that Moses did, right? They couldn't do them all, but they they were able to they were able to do a third of them. Uh, so it depends what you mean by miracles. Yes, we have to be we have to be very careful. Um, nevertheless, I mean miracles sometimes happen. Talking about Moses and the Exodus and such, a lot of these miracles were just punishments for for Egypt, right? They were miracles. They were plagues, but they were still miracles. They weren't really miracles of blessing, but they were miracles. You know, the miracle of the firstborn dying, that was a miracle as well. However, uh, that was like, talk about vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Hey, I mean, Egypt, talk about, this is something that the politicians should notice, should take note of this. Egypt incurred this upon the people of God, that the firstborn die, right? Remember Moses was hidden in the bulrushes and in, in the basket and the baby was, was hidden because Egypt were killing the, they were killing the firstborn. They got it back. They got payback. It took probably a number of years. It took how many years? 80 years, maybe it took years, but they got payback. They got payback. So that miracle is, I mean, it's 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 a very, very broad question. It's hard to, you know, answer that specifically. Uh, but yeah, God still does miracles. Some miracles can be miracles of blessing, like healings and all that kind of thing. Other miracles can be miracles of vengeance, as we just talked about. So, yeah. Nonetheless, God is still on his throne. Great deception in the parable of Lazarus. Actually, I think it's I think it's a very important thing to understand. Like it's um parables actually Luke chapter 16 was not a parable. It was uh, like it was a story uh in parables, you never hear of actual names being being called. Uh, Jesus, Yeshua, was actually referring to someone, some, a real person. It wasn't really a parable. Um, it was a real, a real experience. They were not allowed to 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 return to warn. Yes, uh, that is that is the case. Um, 
reminds me of that documentary I just shared of the Lazarus phenomena. And that's the whole idea is that there's a lot of people today that are returning to warn. Um, but again, the situation back in those days too, with Yeshua and the whole thing about Lazarus and the rich man, The context was probably in in, the, in a Jewish first century kind of context where the rich man should have been well acquainted with the Torah, should have been well acquainted with the word of God. Uh, and that's the reason why they said, hey, they have Moses, they have the prophet, he has the prophets, or they, um, the family of the rich man. They have that. If they don't believe Moses, then... Why would they believe if someone rises from the dead? Um, so in this day and age, we don't like a lot of these people that come back from the dead to talk about hell, as Byron said that someone that he knows, as well as many, many people I've read about, um, they, uh, I think it's a great mercy of God. It really is because God is having mercy upon people that, are not so well versed in the scriptures and biblical culture as the rich man was. And so God is really having a lot of mercy upon people and he's sending people like Lazarus, so to speak, to, to come back. Uh, so many, so many, there's a lot of testimonies out there. A lot of testimonies out there. Abril's praying says, Amen, Amen, and great deception, Amen, Hallelujah, brother, much shalom, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Amen. Byron says, in the Bible, it says those who didn't know will be tormented for a short while. Imagine this, the tribes that are deep in the Amazon that never heard of Jesus or the Bible is imagine when they pass there only tormented for a short time, then led into the kingdom of God. Yeah. And again, it depends on, because it also talks about um, this life also being like a torment as well. A lot of people that are uh, like Lazarus, for example, again, Lazarus, there's a good example. Uh, he was tormented in this life. Um, and so I guess that would be classified as the short while as well. Being tormented in this life and being saved in the, in the, in the life eternal, uh, that's, that's a good deal, isn't it? It's a good deal. Although I wouldn't want it either way. I wouldn't want to get torment either way, but, um, all things considered. He was given much, and much is required. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, sure. Awesome. All right. Okay, guys. So, I'm going to wrap it up now. Those of you who are not familiar with this, um, every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, we come back at 2 p.m., not 7 p.m., but 2 p.m. on Saturday uh, to do a, more like a Shabbat fellowship. Um, 
most of the time I don't really go through the scriptures like I do on the like normal what I call normal excuse me normal nights like 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 I did tonight. Sometimes I do on Saturday, but sometimes it's just a kind of like a free for all uh, fellowship and just um, you know fellowshipping, asking questions, um, you know all that kind of stuff, talking about all kinds of different things. Okay, guys, if you guys, if there's anybody that you know of that's interested in um, contacting me personally without being in the live chat or anything like that, there's my email on the screen, chrisarenock at protonmail.com. You can contact me there. All right. So in the meantime, as always, I pray that you guys would have a wonderful, wonderful evening or wonderful day wherever you are in the world right now. And uh, I'll see you again tomorrow afternoon. Well, again, wherever you are in the world. Uh, it's the 2 p.m. Eastern. That is UTC minus 5. So that's it. Okay, guys. 1 John 2.26 says, Good night, Christopher. Have a great weekend. You too, brother. Great Deception says, Shabbat Shalom, brother, and every and everyone, much love. Love is truth. Amen. Multiplied back to you, brother. Uh, Vinny says, Thank you, Christopher. God bless you all. Shabbat Shalom. God bless you more. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers, as I always say. KMJJ says, Shabbat Shalom. The, t- the Tower Time says, Stay blessed, y'all, in... Yeshua's name, amen, amen, for sure. Awesome. All right, guys, all things new. I'm sorry if I missed your comment, by the way. There is a delay here, so so blessed to listen live. I'm It's almost 3 a.m. here in England. Wow. Thank you, and God bless your beautiful fruit. Thank you very much. Blessings multiplied back to you. Thank you. Westcliff, Colorado. That is, wow. Okay. Awesome, guys. All right. Thank you very much, guys. As always, I'll see you again tomorrow, Lord willing. And I pray for each one of you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you. And give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.